the way that we talk to ourselves is a massive factor in how we treat ourselves and how we think about ourselves and how we respond to challenges. So if we want to reframe the way that we deal with challenges, well, we need to be really kind to ourselves. And we need to make sure that if we're using words that are those, those extremes around always, never, forever, those sort of things, we need to really stop ourselves because there's a danger point in, in creating these ultimatums to ourselves. And we keep telling ourselves that every day, over time, we will build that muscle memory, unfortunately, where we go, I'm always a failure. I suck. No one wants to, will want to be with me ever, right? Hello and welcome to episode 123 of the Aligned Performance Podcast, the podcast helping you to pivot and create your dream career or business that's aligned to your heart's purpose and to transform your life so that you can live out your purpose and potential. My name is Trang Sesnewen, your host for the show, and today I am so excited to be sharing with you a conversation that I had with Dan Yao, psychologist who specializes in resilience, performance, and growth. And today we are talking about how to overcome any challenges that come your way. And this is an episode that I wanted to share with you because if you've been following previous episodes, you'll know that I've personally had a big year already with a lot of ups, a lot of downs. And I released an episode last month talking about how you can turn any suboptimal situation into an ideal one. And that has been the most popular episode this year. Like you have just gotten all around that. And I'm not surprised because all of us in one way or another, sooner or later, are going to be met with challenges in our life, whether it is in our work, whether it's in our health, our relationships, just anything in our life that may not be going in the way that we want it to. It may be going in a way that we didn't expect it to. And that is something that is inevitable in life. So it only makes sense that we want to be as well equipped as possible, as well prepared and as resilient as possible to overcome these challenges. And this episode with so many pragmatic strategies and ideas is going to give you just that. We cover a lot in this one and a half hour chat, starting with what makes a challenge a challenge? What are the different contributing factors to the perceived magnitude of a challenge? Because we know that a challenge for one person might just be an everyday occurrence for someone else. It might just be a normal situation. Understanding the different phases of our reaction to a challenge. Understanding our emotions and discussing, are they helpful in dealing with challenges? How you can become more emotionally aware and how you can reframe your challenges so that you can move past them. Like I said, this episode is so powerful. There is so much in fleshing out challenges and how we respond to them so that you have more awareness. And then there is so many pragmatic strategies for you to implement into your life. All right, let's delay it no more. This is my chat with Dan Yao. Welcome to the Alliance Performance Podcast, Danielle. It's so wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much, Trang. Been looking forward to it all week. Yes. And I've got to mention, it's so funny because we've been chatting now for almost 20 minutes, but when we first logged on, we're having audio issues. 
spent some time figuring that out. And I was just thinking, it's it's 2023. You know, we should have this figured out by now. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, just that the audio issues were, were on my side, absolutely nothing to do with yourself, trying just for your listeners. So don't worry, <laughs> she is very on top of everything. Uh, I, I am borrowing a studio from uh, Vin Jang for those of you who follow him. So the backdrop may look very, very familiar for those of you who follow his content. But that, yeah, that's on me, Trang. So yeah, she, oh. she's very technically adept. I'm, I'm, I'm not. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's like it's, it's not a week of Zoom sessions if there isn't something that you know we're going to figure out before we can get started, whether sure. it's audio or video or something. For sure. For um, sure. So today there is so much that I want to go through. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you, to hear your perspectives, hear your experiences, Dan. So let's get into it. The first question I would love to ask you is this, what's been a major challenge that you've had in the last five years and how did you overcome it? Yeah, fantastic question. I love it from a reflection standpoint, always a good thing to do. Giving some thought, I, I think for me most definitely was a client who basically chose to take their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know it seems very deep and, and, and dark to start, but unfortunately it is a fact of life. I mean, it affects a lot of Australians, a lot of people all around the world. Uh, and so I guess as a, in terms of a challenge, given being a mental health practitioner, that is part of my purpose of life, right? To try and help people as much as possible and to try and avoid uh, what is essentially a very permanent solution to what is usually a temporary problem or temporary set of problems. So I, I reflect on, um, I suppose, a supervisor earlier, a supervisor of mine earlier on in my career once shared with me, if you stay in this career path, that is psychology, then it's not really a question of if, it's actually a question of when that you'll have a client who who takes their own life. Nonetheless, I I still took that quite hard. I I suppose there was an element of guilt uh, where I I sort of thought, oh my goodness. And inevitably you ask yourself the question, what else could I have done? Is there anything else I could have said or changed or, you know, ultimately put into place to to help my client? And it actually took me uh, probably a good week and and, and a bit, uh, actually, uh, after it happened, I think two or three days late, later, I, I was flying out to Los Angeles for a holiday, which was actually really, really needed. And in terms of how did I overcome it? Funnily enough, it came to me when I was uh, in the plane. So you would know when you, you're sitting there, you're about to, you know, you're maybe taxiing or just before you take off, the air stewards, are, they're doing their safety stuff. And, and the, the basic rule of aviation safety is where they say if the oxygen masks drop down, you need to affix them to yourself first and foremost before you help anyone else. And it's something I, I used to teach everyone else all the time because ultimately it, it's the truth. It doesn't matter if your two-year-old is on the seat next to you. Ultimately, if you don't look after yourself and you pass out, you're no help to anyone, including those that you truly love. And so with that realization, uh, to me, I, I recognize that, well, I need to look after myself now. I, I I'm in a caring profession where it's notorious for burnout because you're always giving yourself to everyone around you. And you'd be very much the same given your role in a lot of your clients' lives, Trang, where I'm sure you're always looking after other people. There is this tendency to kind of do the, 
you know, self-sacrificial, I will give myself up to, to help others. But, you know, I'm sure you've heard the phrase where you have to keep your cup full so that you can you know, pour yours out to everyone else. Um, and, and that's what I ultimately needed to do. So this holiday was very well and just opportunistically timed. And I basically focused on myself and just looking after myself and with time and processing, I came to the realization that sometimes you can, and, and again, this is something very well known in the sort of mental health space as well, is you can say and do all of the right things. And someone may still choose to go down a particular path that, you know, is, is what people don't want, you know, which is sometimes taking their own lives. And we can question and ask ourselves, why did it happen and whatnot? But ultimately, we can only do what we can do. And then we have to be satisfied with that. And, and so I, I suppose a, a big challenge for me is sort of overcoming that on a personal level and on a professional level to you know, not let that kind of impact upon my confidence. Because I suppose whether it's ego or arrogance, on some level, you know, I have to go, well, I've done this for 13 years now. If there's just one client where this has happened, you know, is this on me or is this just, well, this is going to motivate me instead to try and help people in the best way possible and try and get the best outcomes for them. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Dan. That's, that is a huge, huge challenge that, you know, for me, I can only imagine how that would feel and how you would need to process that. But even even you sharing, you know, going on this holiday, going on a plane within a week or so after after this occurred, how your shift in perspective when the flight attendant is giving that safety briefing, how that can start the process of you overcoming this challenge. You know, in that moment, in a way, nothing external has changed except for your processing and in your perspective and your reframing of this challenge. And I'm really glad that you said that because we are going to go into this in this episode. In this episode, talking about how to overcome any challenges that come your way, this is, I would, yeah, I would believe this is going to be a huge part of how individuals can overcome their challenges. So that's a great one to start with. And I think another one that, another thing that you said, Dan, that I'd love to touch on is at the start when you said you had a supervisor who told you that it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, you know, you have a, a patient who, who takes their own life. And, you know, you, you'd heard this, you knew this, but when it happened, it's still going to affect you so much mentally and, and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, an interesting part of, of life, how, you know, you can be told something or you can learn something as much as you want, but until you experience it, until you actually face that challenge in real time, like that is, that is the true life experience right there. And it's a completely different experience from hearing it or learning about it. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I love your, your summary there. I, <laughs> I, I think exactly what you're saying there around learning about versus experiencing. I've, I've had a crash course myself in that, uh, as you're well aware, I am a newfound father of, uh, Asher. He, he turned eight, no, two months. I was going to say eight weeks, but my wife wanted to me to be very specific. So, uh, <laughs> yep. two months old as of yesterday. 
And uh, I, I'm actually, uh, I work a lot in the pediatric space. So a lot of kids, a lot of teenagers on my client load. And so yeah, everyone goes, oh, you work with kids and babies all the time. Brilliant. You'll be fantastic. It's like, yeah. And then Asha came into the world and then you can know about, oh, yes, there's going to be sleep deprivation and whatnot. But then when it actually hits you, you're kind of like, what the heck? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what <laughs> so, have I signed yeah. up for? <laughs> for sure. For sure. So I think that um, building on what you're saying there, I think learning about something is a great way of getting ahead of the curve. I mean, you can anticipate and you can kind of prepare for it. Mm. But ultimately, totally, I, I agree. You, you can only prepare so much. And then at some point, you need to jump into the pool. And then yeah. at that point, it's, it's you know, sink or swim. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think that's what this conversation is going to be so powerful for, you know, we can share insights and we can share these strategies because at some point sooner or later, you know, everyone listening is going to experience a challenge in one way or another. Um, but when they do experience that, then this can set them up to be more well prepared to have, a, mm. uh, to have the, the tools under their belt. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to get into it more. Cool. What I'd love to ask you next, Dan, because I've I, I met you in June last year. So it's been about nine months now that I've been following and I've seen what you've been up to. Uh, and I know that you're, you're a psychologist who specializes in resilience, performance and growth. But that's not what you've always done or wanted to do, was it? So I'd love for you to share your story of, of your journey of how you landed here, you know, doing what you're doing now. Cool. Wow. Thank you for the invitation to share. Uh, so I'll, I'll start. I mean, <laughs> um, year 12, I was actually slated. To, I was aiming towards uh, becoming an accountant, uh, of all things. <laughs> yeah. Classic. to me. Oh, I know, right? I mean, <laughs> damn, Chinese background. I mean, Asian prophecy, as, as Vin would refer to it. You know, it's either engineer, doctor, lawyer, or uh, accountant. Um, and I've actually got multiple <laughs> cousins who are ca accountants. Um, but essentially, uh, I, I, I hated uh, accounting. Uh, I, I loathed it with every fiber of my being. And so um, yeah, ultimately, I, through a friend who I wanted to support at school, there was a dysfunctional background there, started to go down the path of drugs and falling into the wrong crowd. And, and this, this friend of mine had so much potential uh, and yet I just saw them going down this dark path. So um, for me, that helped to reconfigure to go, I actually want to want to help him out of this. And I lots of conversations over MSN chat. I don't know if you're too young for back in those days. But uh, yeah, so I, I think year 12 was a turning point for me where I, I changed from accounting and I thought, you know what? No, I, I want to help people. So how can I best go about helping people? Uh, and at the same time, I, I used to overthink things way too much, way, 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 way too much. Uh, I would try and analyze and look at every situation from a thousand different angles and usually end up in a place of analysis paralysis and, that, and then not do anything about it. Uh, key example there being dating, where uh, I, I basically didn't ask any girl out because I was way too scared and, and <laughs> I would overthink it and go, oh, I'm, I'm going to look like an idiot. I, I won't do it. Um, that's a separate story there. So yeah, I, aside from accounting, I, I then went down the sort of psychology pathway and then, yeah, once I got into it, I, I, I just loved it. Just learning about the way we think, how that impacts upon our behaviors, our actions, motivation, you know, just, just how do we, how do we 
get the most out of life? And how do we help others to optimize their experience of what happens to them? And how do we help them to overcome challenges? It just, you know, it was such an amazing watershed for me, watershed moment for me when I went down that path. And I basically just loved it. So, um, yeah, from there, you know, went through uni. I did eight years. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think values is, is such an important part of resilience, which we can go into. But for me, a big value was I want to help people. And this is something that's very close to my heart. So, yes, it's going to require an awful lot of education. But because this is you know, something that I'm really engaged with and al- aligns with what I, I enjoy, um, it, it was still challenging, but it was something that helped me to have that resilience to, to get through to the other side of, you know, doing undergrad honors, masters. Uh, I didn't bother with the, the PhD or doctorate like uh, your previous guest, uh, Dr. Lisa Lewis. So major respect to anyone who can go down the research path. For me, yeah, I just wanted to jump in and help people. So um, yeah, from a professional standpoint, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, I started out in the forensic field. That was my master's. So I was in a maximum security prison uh, helping to do like basically assessments of uh, rapists, murderers, serial killers, bikies, uh, all those kind of interesting and fun, engaging people. Uh, so I was doing that. I, I used to work in the drug court as well for um, like drug diversion court and drug and alcohol rehab. Uh, and then after a bit, I transitioned, did a few uh, years in like work cover. And then um, I sort of found one of my niche areas where I, I started working with kids with disabilities. So that was brain injuries, cerebral palsy, muscular dystrophy, uh, intellectual disability, Down syndrome, all of this all those kind of diagnoses. And I, I, I loved it uh, just because they're our most vulnerable population. And you just see a kid with so much potential and yeah, they might be in a wheelchair, for example, and they just want to play basketball with their friends. And, and so they get down and they get depressed because they, they can't do what their friends want to do. And so to be able to help them to kind of overcome those kind of challenges is just such a it's a such a massively fulfilling uh, role that that I, I I got to take on. So yeah, did a few years of that, and then after that, um, I, I worked for South Australia Police for five years, and I still consult for them a little bit on the side. Um, and that was again another different challenge. Where again, we're talking about resilience. We're talking about people who are going into crisis situations every day of their lives. And something that always stands out to me is, I mean the September 11 attacks, people talked about emergency services personnel where when everyone's running away from a disaster, these are the people that are running into it to try and help and save as many people as you could. So for me, it was such a humbling experience to be able to utilize my hopefully expertise and knowledge. Uh, I shouldn't do that. I am apparently a professional. Uh, But, you know, to, to try and leverage again, what I do to help these people so that they can help our wider community. Because ultimately, the police, they, they help your loved ones, my loved ones, they help us, you know, as civilians. And, and so, you know, for me, it, yeah, a, a big part of my role there was doing training. So I, I was one of the academy uh, trainers, if you will, they've got an entire psychological syllabus where it's all about resilience and how to overcome uh, crisis situations and all these sort of things, which again, we, we can touch on with some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. Um, and that's essentially led me to where I am today, which is essentially in private practice. Uh, I work a lot with, um, again, kids and teenagers with disability, but also just pretty much everyone. So, you know, I've got one or two 
business CEOs. Uh, I've got police that still come to me and I've got yeah, clients of disability and intellectual disability. So it's a, it's a nice swath, if you will, or, or spectrum of, of the community. Um, but, you know, I like to keep it a little fresh and just as long as it's always challenging, that's, that's part of the game or shouldn't say game. It's, it's part of the fun, I suppose, of my profession. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've lived multiple lifetimes as a psychologist by the sounds of it. You know, all these different settings that I wouldn't even have thought of. You know, when I think of psychologists, I think, you know, maybe in a hospital system or private practice, but that's really cool that you've worked in so many of these settings and developed the experience of working with different individuals from different backgrounds that gives you that breadth of the yeah the, the knowledge that you would have now um, but something that is going to be common across all of these individuals who you work with is that they're going to be working with you because they've experienced challenges in one way or another and there's a quote by Charles R. Swindle that goes life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it and I remember when I first heard this, I loved it because it was very empowering, right? Like it puts the responsibility back to me to uh, to create a, a different way of seeing things. So I'd love to hear your perspective on this, you know, through your years of experience. How much control do you believe we have in managing the challenges that we are facing? Mm. I, I love that quote. And um, yes, it's crossed my path before as well. I I mean, before we dive into it, I mean, can you just define for me when you say challenges, how, how are you sort of defining that? Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good question because it, it can be a really broad term, right? Mm -hmm. So to, to me, what I mean when I talk about challenges is well, first of all, it's it's going to be subjective from person to person because what's a challenge to one person might be the opposite to someone else. It might be a, a normal everyday occurrence for someone else. For so sure. to me, like how I would define it is for any individual, it's something that's happening in their life or something that they're experiencing in their life that they are meeting with some resistance. Like it's, it's not an occurrence or a situation or experience that they would expect that they thought it would be going the way that it would go, that they want it to be going in that way. It's, it's the opposite of what they would expect or they want or what they know. Mm -hmm. So then as a result of that, it comes up in their life as a, a challenge. It's something that they've, they've got to overcome to continue moving forwards. That's how I would define it. Okay. I would, I'd be interested to hear how you would define it, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Oh, I, I think that's a, yeah, it's a great way of talking about challenge. Yeah, I, I think, thank you for defining that for me. For me, I, I think it's important to almost separate. There's big ticket items or big ticket challenges. So that might be something like, let's see, let's say a, a, someone who passes away. It might be getting fired from your job. It might be a relationship breakdown. Those I would consider big ticket items. And if we're talking generally here, then most people would agree. It's like, damn, okay, that's that's pretty full on. I I think you know, smaller sort of things that are challenges might be someone cuts you off in traffic when you've already had a really bad day, right? <laughs> where depending on where you are psychologically at that time, whether if it's the first thing that happens to you in the day, you might be eh, oh, 
what a tool, whatever, get on with the day. But if there's almost this uh, element of stress is, um, it, it compounds, right? So to give a, a quick example, say you wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, my alarm didn't go off. Oh, I'm going to be late. I'm 30 minutes late already. And then you know you shower change and then you spill coffee on yourself. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be even later. This is so annoying. You get into the car, someone cuts you off. Now at this point, you're probably going to, that's going to be more of a challenge than if you didn't experience that in isolation. And each of these small things in isolation were probably like, yeah, whatever, it's not a big deal. So I think it's important for me to just set the groundwork. When you say challenges, I think that's very dependent on state of mind at the time when the challenge comes in, right? Because mm. I'm sure you can think of examples where, um, whether it's even with friends or other people that you've seen, family members, where sometimes they might take something that you think, oh, that's a big challenge. They go, meh, whatever. I got fired. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I hated the job anyways. But for someone else, it's, oh my God, this is world ending. I, this sucks. So absolutely. Already we're sort of just from this whole, where we're at in terms of state of mind and whatever's happened preceding or leading up to the challenge, whatever that is, I think that already helps to start to define or dictate how we respond to it, just as per that quote, right? How you how do you react to it? So I think it's very important straight off the, the cuff to, to say that I do believe that sometimes there is going to be very minimal control over what's going on. So for example, someone passing away, you know, let's say it's, it's cancer. Cancer sucks, F cancer by all means. Um, but again, like, what can you do? Unless you are a medical expert, you have very limited control over the treatment plan and, and how that goes. And even just the person, you know, the quality of life, they might make the choice. I don't want to go down the path of doing all the treatment because I know it's going to impact my health and I want to enjoy the last, let's say, 12 months of my life. Now, for, you know, again, how do you react to it? Well, I think a lot of that comes back to, and I know we're talking very generally here, so it's hard to be specific, but I, I do agree in terms of 90% how we react to it. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it, it's a toughie just because, sorry, I'm just repeating myself now. Yeah, I, I think it, I agree. I agree with it in that react, how you take it and how you react to it is is definitely a big part. I'd probably just add any other compounding factors that impact upon your psychological health and, and your state of mind at the time, they probably also play a maybe, I don't know, 10, 15% contributing factor. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I imagine that this quote, you know, 10% versus 90%, like that's not completely a hard line in the sand. <laughs> and it, it more gives the, you know, just the idea of the, the different ratios or, you know, how much like the, the level of responsibility that, that we have in perceiving these challenges. Because as you say, right, you know, if someone spills coffee on themselves one day, it might just be like, oh, you know, this is a got to put this, these pants in the washing now versus on another day, we were already running late for work, already got cut off in traffic. Then it could be like, oh, want to punch a hole through the wall or something. Uh, and, and that is that state of mind that you're talking about, Dan. So you, you mentioned that, you know, the accumulation of, you know, things in a day can lead to how we react to a challenge. What are the the different, What if there's anything else, like what are the different contributing factors, any other contributing factors that would, that would add to the perception of a magnitude of a challenge? So for example, someone getting, someone getting let go from a job and they're just like, yay, I get 
holiday now for a month versus someone else who, you know, they're just distraught by it. You know, what contributes to the perceived magnitude of a challenge? Hmm. I love that question. So there's a few things that come to mind. I think first and foremost, it's about how much control that person has over the actual situation. So if we're using the, I got fired from my job, if you know you've done everything in your power to hold on to your job, hit your KPIs or whatever it is, then I think that that will help you to feel like, well, I didn't get fired because of me. It might've been, let's say Silicon Valley, there's lots of tech layoffs all over the place, right? Yeah. I might be the best coder of my entire branch, but I got let go. I can then tell myself a story, whether it's true or not, that I'm still very good at what I do. I And that's not the reason I got fired. It was because of external factors like layoffs, et cetera, et cetera. I can't control those things. So therefore, I don't feel as bad about it, right? Um, so I think it's it's very much around how much control you have. Mm. I think prior experience, precedence, well, I've been fired before and I got back on my feet and that was fine. I think that's also a really big factor when it comes to how big's this challenge you know if i've never been fired before this is new territory and as we know there's always a fear of the unknown i've never had this happen to me before what do i do what the heck this isn't meant to happen right so i think prior experience i think also just personal factors uh and i mean self-esteem self-confidence if you've got someone who's very low in self-confidence and they're like I, I don't know if I do a good job or I feel like I'm really bad at what I do, then it's easier to almost personalize and, and sort of internalize the blame around whatever's gone wrong. And we can talk about this in a little bit as well. Um, but I, I think, yeah, this, those personal factors, um, you know, there are people who are going to, um, through maybe their upbringing, there's the concept of learned helplessness, you know, where it's, it's, where it's kind of like, well, it doesn't matter what I do. Why am I even trying? There's no point. You know, I got fired even though I gave it my best. So why, why should I even work? Maybe I should go, just go on to welfare because, you know, I'll just get fired again later, right? That, that kind of internalized mindset. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who do have that, but at the same time, there's also, uh, you know, the other end of the spectrum who people go, no, nah, I got fired. I need to find a better job. This is an opportunity for me to grow as a human being to find someone who's going to uh, appreciate my skills and my talents and nurture me, all that sort of stuff. So then it doesn't become a, a, a challenge per se. It doesn't become, oh, this is a way of uh, almost having a scathing indictment on myself as a human being. It then becomes an opportunity to go, well, what else is out there? What opportunities await and how can I get there? Right. So I think those are probably the, the three things, you know, how much control, uh, prior experience, and and then, yeah, just personal factors. Mm, yes, a lot of moving parts that, that play a role in this. Um, yeah, interesting. And and on the on the topic of, you know, you know, we're using getting let go from a job as an example. Well, what I can share, and I have spoken about this before, is I have been let go from a job before. And when I think back to my reaction to that, I remember, you know, when I was having that meeting with my boss at the time, mm. it was the end of a probation period and, you know, I wasn't really sure what direction it was going to go. And then when she did finally say, you know, 
I can't remember exactly what she said, but, you know, this is not working out. We're not going to continue with this. This is your last day of, of work. I remember I just had this huge stomach drop feeling. Like I just felt like my world was crashing down. I, I started crying straight away. <laughs> and I know this sounds – it was very dramatic at the time and, you know, I had all these emotions coming up, right? So, you know, when I left, I drove home. I was crying in the car. I was crying that night. Like what's my what am I going to tell my parents? Because at the time I was only uh, like twenty one, twenty two. I was still living at home with my parents. What am I going to tell my Vietnamese parents who've put their whole lives <laughs> into sending me to a good school, sending me to uni, and I've got let go from my job? Uh, and I just yeah, it was just I didn't know how to. It was just all coming out. But then I remember the very next day, as soon as I woke up, I woke up com- feeling completely different. Because at that time I was also running a part-time business and that next morning when I woke up, I was like, I'm free. Like I have, mm-hmm. I have all this free time now. Mm-hmm. I'm on permanent holidays now. I can now work on my business and go all in on that. Mm-hmm. So my, my, my feelings about this challenge, it, it switched pretty quickly. So what I'd be interested to hear from you is what are the different phases of a reaction to a challenge? Because I imagine that there's like the almost survival instincts reaction at the start and then maybe the logical brain kicks in because that's what happened to me. You know, the next morning I started to process it more and I started to think a little bit differently. Um, yeah, what what are the different phases? Mm, different phases. I mean, first, thank you for sharing vulnerability with that story. I mean, I, I would probably break down into tears if I, you know, if that happened to me as well. I, I think that's always an awful feeling to be let go or to not have a probation period renewed. So it's awesome to hear though how how you've kind of how you took that within 24 hours. You were able to mm. reframe and, and go with that. Oh, it was it was actually you know in hindsight now because that was a long time ago. It was one of the best things that could have happened. It, it opened up so many doors, and it's the only reason why I am here where I am today. You know, doing what I love for work. So yeah, oh, for sure, proof's in the pudding, right? I mean, damn, look at what you've built already. So absolutely, I think that's <laughs> that's super cool. I love where you're at right now, Trang, and um, it's nice for you to reflect back and look at that point of pain as now a point of growth right? Or, or a point of opportunity that may not have opened up otherwise. If you'd, Because if you'd gotten the job, I mean, who's to say, would you still be here or would you still be working you know, nine to five uh, you know, sort of for someone else or whatever? Yeah. Uh, to answer your question in terms of different phases, I, I don't know if, I mean, I'm not aware in terms of like, uh, yeah, in my experience, I, I don't know if there are specific phases that, you know, people go through in response to a, a challenge. If it's an emotional challenge, emotionally charged challenge, so for example, relationships, right? Someone says something nasty to me. It could be a best friend who I've known for years and they betray me somehow, right? And, and I don't know, they um, they steal money from me, let's say, right? I think emotionally, there's going to be an emotional reaction. That I would say, absolutely, that's, that's a very normal thing. I wouldn't look to discount that in any way. And uh, I think it's important to have that validated in some way. Right? So if you're experiencing some form of challenge that is emotionally draining, that is very powerfully emotional, then uh, it's very natural that, to have that emotional response. That's just how we humans are configured. So I, I think that's probably the first thing. And then over time, then it sort of goes into that logical space. Absolutely. Right. Where, as you mm-hmm. said before, where the next day you can sort of re, um, 
yeah. reframe it in your own headspace. And sometimes we get that through talking to friends or family members or to a mentor or to a supervisor where they help to just put things into perspective. And I suppose uh, the way I think of it is how brain-wise we've got logic and we've got emotion and, and both don't generally operate at the same time. Um, they can, by all means, but if something hits us really emotionally, our, our emotional core goes through the roof and our logical core tends to drop. So unfortunately, what that means is if we respond to while things are super emotional, usually it's, it, you know, there's that whole, uh, kind of remember saying about don't write a letter when you're angry because you will just unload, right? But then you give yep. it time and you chill out and then suddenly you go, oh, okay, maybe I can see things a little bit better from their perspective. Maybe I'm overreacting a little bit here. So I think from an emotional standpoint, that, yeah, phases wise, I'd probably say, yeah, there's going to be some sort of emotional reaction and hopefully over time, and this can be helped through talking to other people who you trust, uh, that will eventually give way to an element of logic coming into it. Now, again, there's whole, so many variables around that. If it's a long-term relationship, for example, there may be greater hurt, there may be greater pain. And so therefore that emotional you know, hit may linger for much longer and it might be harder to think about it from a logical standpoint. Now, if it's a, a, I don't know, another challenge that isn't so emotionally, mm, I'm trying to think what that might be. It might be like, I can't get into university because my scores weren't high enough, for example, or my business isn't doing very well. There may still be an emotional component to that, potentially. Some people are able to create distancing very easily and they go, no, that's my business. That's not a reflection on me as a human being or as an individual. I know I still have self-worth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in those cases, I think, yeah, people would just go into problem-solving mode. It's just pragmatism. And again, working with police, that's generally where they are essentially configured. I mean, you know, police officers, very alpha kind of personalities, right? It's about taking charge. And, and to be honest, having been uh, at the police academy for long enough, the trainers drill that into the cadets when they're going through their training. It's, it's always when they run the practical scenarios, uh, whether it's, I don't know, let's say they're practicing using the taser, um, you've got mentors and supervisors who are yelling at their cadets, take control, take control. And, and it's like, hey, what's, what's going on here? But those are the sort of personalities where they encounter a, a problem or a challenge and they will just go straight into, okay, pragmatism, what's the practical solutions and, and elements? How can I address this situation? Options A, B, and C, which one's the best? In this case, it's option B. I've got option A as a backup. All right, let's go in, let's deal with the issue going deeper into the stages of how someone might uh how someone might deal with a challenge at the start you've got that emotional response that we've been talking about right mm -hmm. and and you know when when I've read different books and learned from different schools of thoughts about this there's there's different perspectives you know some people are like okay it's so important so that you express these emotions we are feeling beings we need to mm -hmm let them move through our body. We need to actually acknowledge that they're there. And then there are other schools of thought that that's the opposite. It's, it says, you know what, these emotions, whether it's anger, whether it's frustration, like it's not resourceful. It doesn't help anyone. You should try and manage it straight away. <laughs> so what is your stance on this emotional expression in the moment of challenge? No, that's a really thought-provoking question, Tran. 
So when you say expression in the moment, so give me an example. Mm, sure. It could be, yeah, let's say getting let go from a job and then just crying for a day or crying for a few days. It could be maybe like getting uh, getting cut off in traffic and then just getting really angry and then, you know, road raging at the other person, right? Like, sure. like you know, letting out that energy through those forms. That's what I mean. Okay. Emotional expression is not a bad thing inherently. I think, as you said, humans, we are emotional creatures. And we try if we try to suppress that, the, the, the interesting thing is, as much as we think we're suppressing it, it comes out just in different ways. So mm. I might not yell at you. So, for example, uh, I'm, I'm working with a, a couple at the moment where they go, I'm not being angry. I'm not being angry. But that oozes out of their pores through resentment, through other small things where, you know, whether it's a shift in tone, well, I don't want to do that. Like, oh, well, you know, that's still anger. It's just coming out in a different way. And if that person doesn't have the insight to recognize that I'm, when they say I'm not showing anger, you are. It's just not in the way you think you are. So, yeah. Or you know, it could be like um, in, in relationships where, you know, instead of getting them coffee every day, they, they stop doing that or something, right? It's like, you know, absolutely. withholding certain actions or expressions of love or something. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So if that's the case, then. To me, this question is more around how do you express those emotions? Now, if you've just been to, to use your, your example, uh, if someone says, listen, we're not continuing with your probation and you get teary, I think that's, that's a perfectly reasonable response, right? Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say, well, you need to hold it in and go, well, I'm not going to give anything away. If you want to and you need to, then you know, if you need to excuse yourself, by all means, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, here's my little caveat. I, I work with, like I said, a lot of kids, uh, especially those with disabilities, intellectual and whatnot, brain injuries, where you know, frontal lobe damage, for example, they can't really make great decisions. Their impulse control is non-existent potentially or very low. So if something goes wrong in the classroom, they don't just yell and scream. They'll pick up a chair and try and shatter a window, for example. So... For me, a lot of what I do is, is about that emotional regulation, right? We need to recognize, oh, I'm really angry. So that's the first step. If you can notice you're, you're, you're feeling something, then you can do something about it. And I think, again, that question around, you know, what do you think about this? I think it's, it's okay to express yourself, but it's how do you go about doing it? Is it going to be, for lack of a better term, socially appropriate? I'm not going to shatter a glass on the way out because I'm I'm pissed off that you let me go. I might be uh, just saying, well, listen, can you explain to me why this hasn't been extended? Because I feel as though I've done a very good job here. You know, anger might come out in that sort of way of asserting yourself in, in, in what's going on there. And that's going to serve you a lot better as opposed to something else that you know, you might have police called on you, for example. It's like, no, how okay. dare you? I'm not leaving here until blah, blah, blah. You know, so in, in terms of emotional expression, I think it's just more around how we, what's the function of that? You know, if you want to show the other person you're angry, well, there are ways to go about doing that without necessarily causing a scene or, you know, having police called. And I know I'm talking about the far end of the spectrum here, uh, but you know, being sad, it's perfectly reasonable to be upset and to cry and, and whatnot. 
But if you start to go full histrionic, where you're like, oh my goodness, and you start throwing things, oh, I can't believe you've done this to me. And you know, then you start looking at, oh my goodness, okay, now this is getting out of control, right? And, and it doesn't serve you in any way. It, it, just, uh, it just makes the situation worse. So I, I'd probably just say that it's about why, whatever you're feeling, it's okay to feel that, whether it's anger or sadness or frustration or contempt or whatnot, but it's what you do with that ultimately. Yeah. And um, you said something just before, uh, like, you know, where there's that other side of the argument around, you need to just hold it in and, and, and don't utilize it. I think that emotions like anger are actually very powerful and very uh, useful because anger in particular is a, is a secondary emotion, right? I mean, as you may be aware, you've done plenty of reading. Anger is usually, it occurs because of a, another emotion like fear or sadness or you know, those sort of other primary emotions where it's, I feel really angry and, and it's a doing emotion. It's an action emotion. It, it galvanizes us to do something about that because I'm really angry and I want to do something. And, and for, for men in particular, um, you know, it, it's all about, I want to go and smash something or I want to yell at some, you know, there's a very physicality to that anger. But if we can channel that in the right way for yourself, you saw this as an opportunity instead of going, well, I could hate the world and go, I hate that company for letting me go. I'm going to, you know, try and undermine the company and I'm going to Google review them to hell or whatever. You could do that. Absolutely. It doesn't help you in any way, but you can do that by all means. Instead, if you can channel that anger, if it was, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not saying you were angry, but <laughs> as an example, as an example, yeah, yeah if people, people who are feeling angry, it's well, what can I do with that anger? Can I channel that anger? Well, I'll show them. I'll prove to them that they actually made a massive mistake by letting me go. And I'm going to be the best physio or psychologist or, I don't know, personal entrepreneur or whatever. And so that's where I think, again, these emotions ultimately can help us, but we need to channel them in the right direction. If we don't, that's where it actually hamstrings us and, and, and actually acts as a detriment to our well-being. Mm, I love that. So, so two steps almost. The first step is uh, becoming aware and acknowledging the emotion that we feel, mm. and then from there, you know, channeling that emotion in in a resourceful way. Yeah, and you know, with this, for me, in more recent times, like doing the work and and getting to know myself more has allowed me to become more aware of my emotion of my emotions but previously I, I didn't actually have that awareness um I, I just feel things but I, I didn't I was never taught how to recognize these emotions like it was never something that I learned in school I learned how to do algebra and calculus <laughs> but then I was never formally taught you know different emotions and how to recognize them so how would you recommend someone to become aware of what emotion it is that they're they're feeling um, what is it that they can do or how does it look to, to be able to acknowledge what it is that you're feeling? Yeah, I love that question. I love that question. I think this, what we're talking about here is ultimately EQ, right? Emotional intelligence. And yeah. as you'd be aware, the research indicates EQ generally tends to be the best predictor of success. And the reason for that is because human, I think, yeah, we're all about connections, right? So in, in terms of your question, I, I think to develop that understanding, we need to be willing and courageous enough to hold ourselves accountable, right? And, and by that, I mean, when something happens that makes us feel 
bad, instead of just responding straight away, I think we need to give ourselves a moment of grace to yep, absolutely experience it and go, oh, I feel really sad. I feel really upset right now. I am pissed off. And in that moment, there's almost like this, when I teach kids, I go, imagine a big stop sign coming up in front of you, right? And, and after that stop sign comes up, just take some deep breaths, three deep breaths if you can. If time is, you know, you're in the middle of something, you know, like you're, you're in the middle of the uh, recess at, at lunchtime and everyone's waiting for you to throw the ball, give yourself three breaths. If not, give yourself a full 60 seconds. One minute, just one minute. Take some deep breaths. What you're ultimately doing there is you're giving your brain time to process, not using that reptilian brain where it's just impulse. <gasps> Boom, I need to respond. It's no, let's filter that through to the front, frontal lobe where all our executive functioning, you know, our decision making it gives us time to process and go, oh, I feel really angry. Why do I feel angry? Ah, oh, it's because they insulted me. Or, ah, oh, I feel bad because. I don't know, I didn't follow through on a promise I made, right? So I think it's almost giving us that time to experience the emotion. And then it's the question of why? Why am I feeling this way? That's the big thing we need to ask ourselves. Why are we feeling this? We can recognize I feel this. And then why do I feel this? Because with just those two small components, the more we practice that, the better we are at identifying, oh, damn, that was really upsetting. Don't know why I'm upset right now, but I just feel really upset. Something about that interaction just then really put me offside. And some people are better at this naturally. And I, I will just say this, um, women do do this way better than men, in my experience. Uh, and for reference, my wife is a clinical psychologist. I've just got general registration. So my wife is always better than me. Um, and, you know, she she's amazing. And, and you've done a lot of it already today in this reflection, right? Where whenever I say something, you're like, yeah, I'll summarize that for you, you know, and reflect that back. I think women do that so amazing and, and men, not so much, not generally in a very natural sense. A lot of, um, most of the time, it's almost they have to teach themselves. So it's sometimes just that recognition. And again, this is just emotional intelligence uh, in a nutshell. Um, it, it, there's, it has to be a sensitivity, to what am I experiencing? And, and usually what others are experiencing as well. You'll notice people who are very good with emotional intelligence that they'll notice and pick up on those cues and go, oh, Trang, you, you look a bit upset. Are you okay? Do we need to take a bit of a time out? And, and just give that moment, right? But if we don't recognize that, or we just sort of uh, bulldoze our way through interactions, it's like, oh, that person looks upset, whatever, you know, or I'm feeling, I'm feeling angry or I don't even notice it and it just comes into my tonality and the way that I approach the situation, well, then that's really going to, to cause issues. And, and I can tell you right now, I, I dealt with plenty of detectives who are very, you know, this is how it is. And so, you know, when they're interviewing victims of crime, they're very just straight to the point around this happened, what happened here? And there's this complete absence of thought to recognize that you're dealing with someone who is in a emotional human being you, you need to show them some of that softness have some of that sensitivity so sorry in a nutshell <laughs> to answer your question to improve it i think it's really just giving yourself a few seconds to just sit with that emotion if you can longer is better not too long you don't want to overthink it but then ask yourself why am i feeling this way it might be justified it might not be but those two things will help you to understand over time. And again, muscle memory, the more you do it, the better you will become at recognizing and being sensitive to where you're at. And, and when you can achieve that, 
you will be better at managing that emotion as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? You know, it's each day being conscious enough to, in the moment, catch yourself before you react, before you, you know, go off at someone or something. Mm. To take that, even just a few seconds, create a bit of space to Mm. be like, you know, why am I feeling like this? And that takes work, you know. It it ta- that's where the real work is, isn't it? It's not just listening to this podcast and be like, "Yep, if I listen to this uh, podcast, I'm going to be better equipped to handle challenges." Mm-hmm. No, like the real work is listening to this and then each and every day, you know, reminding ourselves and catching ourselves and staying switched on and on top of our game, so that we can, you know, create that habit of of taking mm-hmm. that space. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love what you said there, Trang. And, and I'd say absolutely to your listeners, anyone listening to this, I mean, a challenge, simple challenge is just to start super tiny because we're just building conditioning over time, right? So it might be as simple as, all right, you don't have to even do this for big ticket items or big emotions. It might be the smallest thing. It might be uh, someone got your coffee order wrong this morning. Oh, that's a bit of frustration. I'm going to be late five minutes. Oh, use that opportunity to go, all right. Yep, I'm a bit frustrated. Okay, how much does this impact my day? Why am I frustrated? Oh, because I'm going to be late and I've got other things going on today. Oh, but when I think about it, eh, five minutes, it ain't going to kill me, right? And just do that once a day. If you can do that for one time a day, over time, this will just become part of your psychological makeup. And before you know it, you'll be able to do that for bigger ticket items as well. So just once a day. It doesn't, doesn't have to be throughout the entire day. And as you would know, you know, someone who coaches people and tries to help your clients to perform as best they can, we know that these things don't come easily or readily available straight off the cuff. So we need to develop that over time, um, that whole atomic habits, James Clear kind of you know, <laughs> way of looking at it. So even once a day, brilliant, right? Don't, don't put that pressure on yourself to have to do it in and out the entire day for the next five months. It's just now nah, once a day, you do it once, brilliant, well done. You can do it again. Damn, bonus. Well done. And just go from there. Yeah, nice. As you were talking before, I was thinking back to the time where I used to do a lot of road cycling and I was so guilty of, well, being the road cyclist, getting road rage from drivers, right? You know, being being the, someone who take you know, causes a delay in someone else by two seconds. It's it's a very um, it's a very rough thing to experience. And I would get road rage by drivers, and I used to always react back. Like if they yelled something out to me, like "Oi, you know, move left," or you know, "Get off the road," or something. But I would say I would yell something back so quickly. But then, you know. When I got home and had a shower and reflected, it's like, you know, what was the point of, of yelling back? Like the, the the driver's raging maybe because they've dealt with crap in their day. They've had a really hard, stressful week. Like it's not about me. Mm-hmm. It's about them. And then that reframed how I saw the entire situation. Mm. And instead of feeling angry at that person, now I just felt love for them. You know, like I felt sorry for them. Like what's going on in their life that makes them so angry at a cyclist that they have to yell, like roll down their window and yell at them, right? Um, So reframing is something that, yeah, something that we've spoken about throughout this episode. It changes how how we feel about a challenge, right? Like Mm. you hopping onto that plane, hearing that safety briefing from the flight attendant and seeing how you – uh, 
you know, you have to look after yourself first. That's in a way reframing how you see the scenario. So how, like what recommendations do you have on how people can reframe challenges that they face so that they can move from that emotional phase to more that logical progressive stage? Okay. Great questions, by the way. Love it. You've done your homework. (laughs) Uh, and also, I just need to call out, I think you you demonstrated a really powerful skill just before when you're talking about, you know, being a cyclist, people being a pain, uh, so to speak, in the posterior and being nasty and whatnot. And and for, for you to be able to still show love to people like that, because um, it, it can be very difficult. I think you're demonstrating well, empathy there. That, that's what I'm hearing from you. You're, you're actually putting yourself into their shoes and going, damn, did, I don't know, their partner break up with them this morning? That's why they're in such a bad mood or for something that's... You know, it's not really going to impact on either either of our lives, but they're still taking the time to shout abuse, right? So for you to still be able to to do that, I think it's a very powerful, um, well, some would argue a superpower, right? Mm. Um, and unfortunately, I don't think it's something that enough people exercise these days. So just wanted to call that out. Uh, I think mm. it's, it's something very important in, in this day and age. Um, so in terms of your question, how, how do we reframe? There's a few considerations, I think, when it comes to dealing with challenges. Uh, so I'll probably just three come to mind straight off the cuff. First is uh, Martin Seligman, who you may have heard of. Uh, he's a big proponent of the positive psychology movement, um, does work with the American military and whatnot. Uh, multiple books out there. I highly recommend. Uh, there's one called Flourish in particular. Um, so Seligman refers to there's this thing called the three P's. And those whoops, those P's are, uh, let's see if I can remember, personalization, permanence, and prevalence. So those three P's, personalization is I run into a challenge and I make it about me. This is my fault. This has happened. Yeah. So it might be I got fired. It's because I'm crap at my job. It's because I, I didn't uh, help people out enough. It's all my fault. So there's a real discarding of any external factors that might occur. So for example, you work for a tech company in Silicon Valley. 10,000 staff laid off at Microsoft, for example, well, you could be the best coder. Again, this whole argument, right? But we discard that because it's all, I, I personalize it. It's about me. This is why I failed or this is why the challenge occurred and why I'm struggling. Now, prevalence is where um, essentially we apply something that's happening in one dimension of our life to a whole bunch of other dimensions of life. So for example, someone breaks up with me and I'm like, oh my goodness, I was the worst partner ever. Therefore, I'm the worst psychologist ever. I'm the worst son ever. I'm the worst tennis player ever. I'm the worst of everything. I suck, et cetera, et cetera. And it sort of creates that pit of despair, right? That we spiral. Um, and I will talk to counterpoints to these as well. And finally, um, so I've done personalization, prevalence, and permanence. It is uh, the you know those extreme sort of phrasings that we do to ourselves sometimes. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, I got fired. I'll never get another job as good as this. I'll always be a failure, right? Uh, relationships, I'll never have a partner as amazing as that. I'll be single forever, you know? All those sort of things when that ain't the case. It, it, it's, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. It's, it's you know, for this period, it's painful and it sucks, but no, it is not permanent. It's not always entirely singularly your fault. And no, you don't suck across all dimensions of your life. It, it's just sucks right now for this particular dimension of your life. So in terms of reframing, I think what's very important is we we make sure that we're very mindful that if we're doing these things to ourselves, that we provide the counterpoints. 
So if you're personalizing it, hey, there might be other factors that are contributing to what happened here, right? So um, relationship breakdowns are a very big one. Sometimes it's, I should have shown them more love. I should have done this. I should have done that. But sometimes it's just a bad match. You know, personality-wise, just people don't get along because their values aren't in line. I've got a client now who I can straight away think of, and this happens often, where they didn't discuss whether or not they wanted kids. So now they're getting engaged and suddenly they're recognizing one wants kids, the other does not. And so it's kind of this, the values are opposing sides and they still care for each other, but they just can't find, yeah, this model middle ground. So there's this personalization aspect of, this is all my fault, blah, 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 when actually, no, it's just contrary views on this one topic that it's okay to, but whether or not, you know, that's going to have implications for their ongoing relationship. That's another thing. So personalization, just be very mindful about blaming yourself when there may be other external factors that you may or may not be aware of that might actually impact what's happening. Prevalence, again, it's about, well, what domain of life is, life is this occurring in? right? If I have a bad day at the tennis courts, I don't go around going, I'm the worst psychologist ever because I, I lost a match that I should have won. You know, it, you know, I'm not suddenly a bad partner or a bad person intrinsically. It's just that, well, I had a bad day at the office. And so what do I, you know, I, I, so I can take comfort and confidence that as a husband, as a father, hopefully, um, as a friend, as a psychologist, as whatever else, that I'm still a good person. I'm still very good at what I do. So it hopefully helps to stem the bleeding, so to speak, from this temporary pain point of this challenge that's occurred to me. And this happens, this is a massive thing, I'll just say, trying, especially you work with a lot of high-performing individuals, especially you work with athletes and whatnot. I mean, there's a, there's a good reason why people who perform at the top of the game, let's say Ian Thorpe is a well-documented story, where you know, multiple gold, gold medals, you know, was a, a, an Australian icon in the limelight, and then experienced severe depression. Um, now, I, I'm not his treating psychologist and I can only go off what was on the media, but I imagine when you're at this apex of one domain of your life, and that might be career, and for whatever reason you fall out of the limelight, it's very easy to then go, oh, I fall from this, this mountaintop and suddenly it's like, well, oh my goodness, I suck and, and everything sucks, right? Uh, because no one sees me as any value. When actually, no, I'm sure family members, for, and, and I, I don't know, I'm just, saying these things, right? But what I say to my clients a lot is, is yeah, okay, well, yes, you achieved all these things. That's amazing. But you also, what else did you achieve as a family person, as a son, as a daughter, as a husband, as a wife, as an uncle or as an auntie, uh, in a hobby? You know, there's so many points where you can draw strength and confidence from that it doesn't necessarily make up for or, or help to, you know, um, to take away the pain from what's happened here with this challenge. But it helps to just reaffirm that you are a person of worth and you're still a kick-ass person, right? So that's um, that's the sort of um, prevalence one. And then the permanence one is, again, being very careful around your language. Uh, psychologists, uh, I can't remember if Lisa mentioned on, on her episode, but the way that we talk to ourselves is a massive factor in how we treat ourselves and how we think about ourselves and how we respond to challenges. So if we want to reframe the way that we deal with challenges, well, we need to be really kind to ourselves. And we need to make sure that if we're using words that are you know, those, those extremes around always, never, forever, those sort of things, we need to really stop ourselves because there's a danger point in, in creating these ultimatums to ourselves. And we keep telling ourselves that every day, 
over time, we will build that muscle memory, unfortunately, where we go, I'm always a failure. I suck. No one wants to want to be with me ever, right? But again, the good thing is our brains are, we can, we can re rewire them essentially, right? We're not set in stone. And again, one big way of that is to just ensure that well, we're aware of it always. Oh, no, just that relationship didn't work out. What can I learn from it? And then let's, you know, let's find something else that is more fulfilling, perhaps, whether it's relationships or hobbies or jobs and whatnot. So that's kind of the three P's. Um, feel free to plenty of information about it on the Internet. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd probably say that's that's probably one of the, the really big ones. I'm aware I've talked an awful lot about that. Do you want me to just cover off on two more things or do you want me to shut up? <laughs> yeah, no, go for it. This is great. This is so um, tangible, so practical. So this is going to help so many people. Oh, well, that's awesome. Hopefully. Uh, I'll, I'll cover these real quick. Um, actually, one of them I've already sort of touched on, but um, I think strength focus, yeah, which I've sort of talked about a little bit there with the three Ps. Um, but I think people forget about what they have in their sort of toolbox sometimes. And by that, I mean, I'll, I'll give an example. I had a kid who had cerebral palsy uh, and he was a paraplegic. So he was in a wheelchair. Um, and I remember one of his biggest things that he wanted to do was just play basketball with his mates, right? At a recess. He's just a kid. He just wants to join in. And he felt he couldn't uh, because, you know, it was unwieldy. He didn't really have a sports uh, wheelchair and, um, got really down on it and, and it was really upsetting. So instead, I remember having this conversation with him where he, he was into the whole superheroes thing, right? So he, I sort of posed the question to him, well, who's your favorite superhero? And he's like, Batman. I'm like, oh, of course it's Batman, the world's greatest detective. I'm like, why, why not Superman? He's like, nah, I like Batman. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. So I said, well, what do you like about Batman? He's like, he's really smart. He's got all these cool gadgets. He's rich as well brilliant. I was like, but Superman, he can shoot lasers out of his eyes. He can fly. Batman, Batman can't fly. And my client's like, huh? Yeah. But you know, the thing is <laughs> my client recognized over time that Batman doesn't spend his time thinking about what he can't do. He's not like, oh man, Superman can fly. Oh, well, I can't fly. He can shoot lasers and see through walls. Oh, I can't do that. I mean, there's probably a gadget for it, right? But yeah, I, I can't do those things. This sucks. Now, does he spend all of his days thinking, oh, well, that sucks. I can't do those things. Yeah. Does he do that? No, he doesn't, does he? Instead, he focuses on his strengths and that's his intelligence and he's got all this money so he can research and develop all these different cool tools and gadgets and, and that's what makes him super awesome. So with my client, it was about, okay, well, yeah, you can't lie. You, you can't you know, run. You're in a wheelchair, but what can you do? And so this kid, he... he and, and I'm a little bit of a nerd, um, but he, he, he like organized like a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament, like a card game tournament, right? And all of his friends stopped playing basketball and they're like, yeah, let's play this card game. I love and that. he just integrated into his friendship group. Like obviously his friends like, you know, did all stuff with him. But to me, I think the way we use our strengths, if we forget about our strengths and we just focus on the negatives, well, then all we're doing is we're putting ourselves into a corner that ultimately doesn't serve us, right? It, it just makes us feel like crap. And that doesn't help to contribute towards solving the problem or the challenges. It just identifies, oh, well, what can I do to improve in that area? And it, doesn't, it doesn't solve anything in the moment. So mm -hmm. I think a strengths focus is super critical. And it's something that uh, you know, coaches, psychologists, mental health professionals, we need to work off those strengths because it gives a, a client a sense of self-satisfaction when 
It's not me pulling them out of a hole. They're doing it themselves. They're climbing out, right? I just identify things that they've already got in their repertoire. And if they don't have it, how can they go about obtaining them or learning them? Yeah. So strengths focus, I think, is super critical. Um, and the last thing is um, Carol Dweck. She talks a lot about growth mindset. So for any of your um, very popular book, I'm sure plenty of people have most likely read it as well. Uh, but yeah, I think ha- having a growth mindset uh, is super critical as well in terms of dealing with challenges. And um, of course, just you know, the, the quick uh, abridged version is fixed mindset is where we just kind of go, whoop. I'm good at these things. I'm always going to, I'm just going to stay this. I'm not going to venture out of where I'm at, right? I'm I'm good. I won't challenge myself because challenging myself and getting things wrong means I look like an idiot or I don't look competent. So therefore I won't venture out of that. As opposed to growth mindset is more looking at challenges as opportunities to learn. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to something that might be challenging because if I learn from it, I become stronger, I become better, you know, um, and that, that applies to, if you look up her book, uh, so it's Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. Um, it's, it's a fantastic read. You, to be honest, you could probably just read one of the chapters because she then applies her concept to, you know, like uh, business, to relationships, to hobbies, and just everything. You don't need to read the entire book. Seriously, just read one chapter. You, 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 you'll get the gist of it very quickly. Uh, but it, I think it's adopting that kind of mindset of where challenges aren't bad things. And, and it's just opportunities for us to grow. Um, and you know, for me, I, I like to just use that analogy of being at the gym. You have to appreciate that it's going to hurt, <laughs> you know, when you're trying to build muscle. And when you start, it's, it's definitely going to be hard and challenging. But the more you do it, the more you get used to it, your body conditions. And over time, that challenge you know, six months later will be like, what the heck? That's not even an issue anymore, right? And, and you might look forward to getting in there to hit new PBs on squats or I don't hit the gym, obviously, I'm, you know, so, <laughs> I, you know, whatever it is, right? Bench press, yep. is that a thing? Yeah, yep. you'd, you'd know much better than I would, <laughs> but yeah, adopting a growth mindset, I think is, is super critical in terms of reframing our perception of dealing with challenges. Mm, those are great, Dan. Thank you for sharing, because what I love about, you know, the, these strategies is they can be implemented in the moment, right? So if you've had a challenging day, you could that very night go home, do this in the context of that challenge that you've experienced. But these are also things that you can do as an ongoing practice to develop your overall resilience to challenges. So for example, um, what you were saying about uh, like where your focus uh, goes, like what you, what you focus on, right? Uh, it, it reminds me of that saying that Tony Robbins always says, you know, where your focus goes, energy flows. So mm-hmm. focusing on your strengths versus focusing on your weaknesses, right? Batman focusing on his gadgets versus his inability to shoot lasers out of his eyes. Absolutely, I love <laughs> like that. that is, yeah, that is something that we can do in the moment, but we could also do on a daily or weekly basis, like we can sit down with a journal. You mentioned, Dan, before we started recording that you were just journaling this morning. Um, you know, we can we can journal on a regular basis. What are our strengths? Mm. You know, what makes us so great? Mm. <laughs> you know, we can toot our own horn, but we do that regularly enough and and we we start to have more of that self-esteem, more of that confidence, which you mentioned early on in this episode, is one of the contributing factors that 
increases our ability to overcome challenges or, or to manage them. Um, and same with the growth mindset thing, like that's an ongoing, that's an ongoing um, work in progress, uh, working on our mind. And as David Goggins would say it, callousing our mind, right? Like building yeah, thicker, building a thicker brain uh, meninges or whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not into the neuroflake side of things. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. For sure. I love that. Yeah. I totally agree with you with um, the Tony Robbins quote. For sure. For sure. I, I think, and that's half the battle, drawing attention to it when we're living in a world where there's so much stimuli and there's so many distractors and, and things we need to address. It's easy to lose sight of what these are things that sometimes we take for granted, just mm. our strengths, you know, to be able to leverage our strengths. So as you said, I mean, you know, journaling, I'm, I'm getting better at doing it. Uh, but I mean, something that all psychologists learn as part of, you know, the various things that we do as part of our formalized training is self-reflective practice is super critical and key to being a good clinician. And I think that for your listeners out there, I mean, one good question to ask yourself every day at the end of the day is, what's one way I utilize the strength of mine today? It might be I showed empathy to somebody who was having a really bad day. It might be I was assertive when previously someone would have walked all over me, right? If we can collect that in, and again, whether it's in a journal or whatnot, what you're doing is you're basically creating a tome of evidence that you can refer back to anytime you want to. And, and I ask, a, I tell a lot of my clients to do this. It's kind of part of their homework. I hate that word because it's very loaded, but uh, it, it's something where it's something tangible, you know, something that you can refer back and just flick back to, you know, two weeks ago, four weeks ago, a year ago and go, damn, I was using my strengths here and here and here. And over a while, uh, over time, you probably don't need that anymore. But here's how I describe it to a lot of clients. Sometimes we have this mental battle that's almost like a courtroom in our brain. Now, we are the judge or magistrate, but we're also prosecution and defense. And the doubts are sometimes prosecution. It's like, well, did you do a good job? Are you really a good person? Are you worthy of love? And then defense goes, oh, but, but I've been in a relationship for three years or but, you know, all these sorts of things, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes prosecution wins because we don't have enough evidence that we can access in the moment because we're negative, because we're maybe depressed or something bad has happened and it's put us into this negativity bias where, again, negative information is more salient. So we just focus on the negatives. And so then defense is like, I got nothing. Oh, okay. I am a bad person. But if you're able to journal and it's not a dear diary today, it doesn't have to be that. It could be as simple as today. I was really proud of myself. I did X today. My strength that I utilized was X. You, you've now got evidence that defense can come and go, your honor. I don't know why it's sort of turning American, but you can just you know give that to yourself and go, no, I'm, I'm a super awesome person. I'm actually a really generous person here. And, and that person who said, uh, I'm really stingy. Well, I, I treated my friends to dinner the other week. I did this for my parents, blah, 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 blah. So I think formulation and creating that evidence, super critical for creating these longer term, almost like mindset shifts, because you don't need to prove it to anyone. You don't need to prove it to yourself anymore. You've got the evidence collected there in the one place. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, this is all so great. Ultimately, for us to increase our threshold of what it takes to shake us up, 
you know, like over time, um, increasing, yeah, the, the threshold so that it takes more to to push off uh, push us off our balancing board and and to rattle us and sure. you know I don't know about everyone listening but that's what I would love to achieve in life you know get to the point where I, I experience more of these challenges I develop thicker skin um, and it, it takes more and more and more over time to to rattle me. Mm. Um, so yeah, this is great down. Now we're, we're getting to the end of the episode now. So what I'd love to do before we wrap up is go through five rapid fire questions. This is something that I ask each guest who comes on and it allows us to have a bit of fun and for the guests to get to know you more outside of what we've already been talking about. So are you ready for these five rapid fire questions? As in, you're going to ask them and just want like quick Easy responses or? Yeah, one? quick, easy yeah, responses. Cool. And then yeah. if, if there's anything interesting, then we can elaborate on it more. I, I usually break the rules a little bit. Sure. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's get into it. So question number one, favorite movie or TV show genre? Uh, favorite movie? I've, I'm an Arnie fan, so I, I love Terminator too. It's, it's, yeah. I, I, I know nice, it's very, nice. I, so yeah, I'm, a, I'm an action kind of guy, but I, you know, I appreciate a bit of like uh, science fiction as well. <laughs> yeah, cool, great. Okay, m- for you, mornings or nights? I'm a morning. Uh, I, I'm kind of in the middle. I, I like to do early mornings, but I, I've seen people, you know, I can't do the David Goggins 4 a.m., you know, sort of wake up. Uh, I, I do sometimes when I'm working with Vin with some of his workshop stuff, and oh, it's yeah. great to achieve stuff first thing in the morning. Um, I'd probably say more morning. Sorry. I, simple answer. Yeah. Morning. But I, I, I'm, I can be a bit of a night owl here and there sometimes as well. All right. Most memorable place that you have traveled. Oh, oh I'm, I'm kind of split. I, so I was in Canada last year with Vin and I was in Jasper. Uh, I think in Edmonton. Stunning. Absolutely ridiculous. I, I've, Never had mountains that felt so close. And I've also never experienced minus 26 degrees weather. I I, I've, I know that as a concept it exists, but experiencing it and, and as you said before, you can know about it, but yeah. experiencing it is, is a complete different kettle of fish. Uh, I, I didn't know what it was like for your face to hurt just being outside, oh. you know, for, for 30 seconds. Um, that being said, I feel like Japan, I went there on for our honeymoon and just such an amazing place like the culture uh, i mean i love the whole samurai history and bushido and you know that sort of that that you know the the that sort of stuff um the food it's impossible to get bad food in japan it is impossible if, if any of your viewers have had bad food before in japan please tell me but we were there for two weeks and and it was impossible like everything we ate was amazing uh so i'd say of the two uh, i'd probably say I definitely want to take Fung back there to Canada, uh, but I think Japan at the moment is probably the, the place we want to go back to. How many coffees do you drink a day? Zero. Uh, Zero? I, I, I don't drink coffee, yeah. Uh, I get a lot of people who say that's kind of crazy, especially for someone who went through like eight years of uni and did theses <laughs> along the way. Yes. Uh, my wife, first and foremost, is like, I don't know how you operate without coffee, um, but I'm <laughs> I'm actually really sensitive to caffeine i think so if i mm. sip uh like a vietnamese iced coffee which i freaking love uh if i sip it uh at say 11 a.m 
uh, I'll be up at 2, 3 a.m., like wide awake and just, yeah, going, I'm really frustrated. I can't fall asleep now. So I, I, I don't touch the stuff. As much as I love the smell of it, uh, I, I can't do it. <laughs> or I can't. Wow. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's you just- that's impressive, Dan, especially because you went through eight years of uni. Like that's where people break down. Like that's where people <laughs> pick up the habit. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's yeah. funny because I, I'm so surprised to hear you say zero. I think you're the first guest to say zero. Yeah. But I don't drink coffee either. And that okay. just shows, and that just shows like the conditioning of how normalized it is. Like I don't drink it and I just get I still get surprised when I hear someone else doesn't drink coffee. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Final question, Dan. If you could do just one hobby for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, I'm going to nerd out. I'm, I'm going to say video games. Uh, <laughs> I, I grew up in video games and uh, I, I think here's the thing. I'll just quickly say a lot of people sort of, you know, they poo poo people's hobbies and interests and video games is an easy one, right? It's, oh, it's childlike. It's for kids and and whatnot, and I actually did one of my thesis. I uh, did my honors thesis on like aggression and violent video games. Uh, so you know, I could use it in my career, which is great, and and it's a real great connection point for the kids I work with because I can talk to them about Minecraft. I can talk to them about problem solving using video games as a kind of a uh, you know a metaphor slash analogy. And I know I'm very aware I'm justifying myself here and, and to my <laughs> wife, uh, but yeah, I Full think video games. <laughs> she, I'm sure she will eventually. Uh, I think, yeah, video games is something that um, I play tennis a lot as well, but I've had to give that up uh, more just temporarily just because they're helping out Fung with uh, little Asher. Um, but yeah, video games, I think, is just a nice way of just decompressing. And it, it's my opportunity to chill out and disengage from reality and just, you know, like be a, I don't know, secret agent, uh, you know, and, and go around and, um, solve mysteries or do whatever. So yeah, video games is kind of kind of my nerd thing. So. Yeah, cool. Oh, well, Dan, we've been chatting now for almost an hour and a half. We, we didn't even get through all the questions that I had because you've just shared so much incredible value and some really tangible things that people can implement. Um, so thank you so much for coming onto the show, Dan sharing your experience for anyone who wants to know more about you who wants to get in touch with you maybe um work with you where's the best place for them to find you sure thank you for the kind words uh i'm trying to get better at uh receiving you know praise and and whatnot so thank you it's very very kind of you uh in terms of getting in touch with me i um yeah so i've got a website it's just danielyao.com.au my last name is yankee echo oscar whiskey so it's y-e-o-w uh, I've got an Instagram. Uh, I only started it only about nine months ago. I've, I've stayed away from social media for like the last, I don't know, 10 years, just because when I was working in prison, you kind of mm. you know, didn't want people from freedom of information to come looking for you, <laughs> especially if you wrote reports on them. Uh, so I'm back in there. So my handle, I think it is, is just at D-Z-Y-E-O-W. Um, and I just try to put out three videos um, a week. Uh, I just talk about a variety of different things. Um, and ultimately, it's just yeah, for people to just give some thought and uh, hopefully improve their lives, even if it's just by 1%. So yeah, if people want to DM me or send me an email or whatnot, they can go through my website or just through Instagram. And yeah, if, if anyone has questions or comments or queries, anything like that, I'm always willing to hear and listen to other people because um, yeah, sometimes I know psychology tends to be I mean, it's an extremely broad 
uh, kind of profession, you know, and um, I think that people are just wanting to live a great life ultimately. So if I can contribute in some way, uh, I mean, that's what my life's purpose has been for the last 13 years. And if I can help them in some way, I'm, I'm always happy to receive messages and respond. So thanks so much for the opportunity to be on your podcast as well. You know, I really appreciate it, Trang. Yeah, it's been mm. fun. Such a pleasure. Yeah, so I'll, I'll put all of your details in the podcast description. Once again, Dan, thank you so much for coming onto the show. I've loved every minute of this chat. Um, oh. So, yeah, thank you. Oh, wow. What a jam-packed episode that was. I learned so much from that conversation, and I really hope that you did too. I hope that you were able to expand your awareness on how challenges work and your role in interacting with these challenges and then gaining the resources to rise up and overcome any challenges that come your way. If you enjoyed this episode and if you are enjoying the podcast overall, I would love it if you had a moment to hop onto Apple Podcasts, leave an honest review and rating. One of my focuses, one of my focuses for this year is to expand the podcast to reach more souls on this planet because the feedback that I do get from listeners is always so beautiful. It's crazy how these episodes, they can touch you, they can inspire you, they can give you the resources to make actual changes in your life trajectory. And I would love for more people to be able to be gifted with this. All right. Once again, thank you so much for being part of this community. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and supporting me and doing what I love I hope that you have a beautiful one. Keep showing up as your highest self and I'll see you in the next episode.